Thanks. So, good morning, and if you have your Bibles, I will invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with me this morning. So, that's where we'll be together. And, uh, you know, if if there's ever an A-B sermon, in other words, um, part A, part B, I think this is it. And so, what I'm saying to you is this week in the message you are going to hear Listen, I'm facing surprising troubles. What is my first step? What am I supposed to do when, again, the the wheels are off the cart of my life for a minute? And so this week we're going to talk about what it means to seek the Lord. Next week we're going to hear exactly what, uh, in this case, Jehoshaphat did. All right? So this week we're talking about prayer. Next week we're talking about answered prayer. This week we're talking about appropriate wait on the Lord. Next week we'll look at what happens when you wait on the Lord. All right. So uh, today, if you were to put a place in your life where you are um, have just recently heard maybe bad news or you're facing surprising trouble, and those surprising troubles can take a million different uh, forms, then next week we'll look at the way that the Lord came through. So again, we're in Second Chronicles chapter 20 looking at the life of Jehoshaphat. This is toward the end of Jehoshaphat's rule. It's really the last story, if you will, that we have about what happened in Jehoshaphat's reign. And we'll start in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden. From the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazion Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek the Lord, to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress." And you will hear us and save us. But now there are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. So, Father, I pray even now that you would help us as we come into your presence. You would help us not be the kind of people who stand in your presence and already know what to do. Help us not be the kind of people who tack on prayers at various points in our life while we live the life we want. Help us come to the end of our answers and bring our inquiries directly to your throne room. Would you speak to us and answer from that lofty place, from that place of perfect grandeur where your glory fills the temple, Lord, you humble our hearts before you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're taking a look at what life is like and what you and I do when, when surprising trouble comes into our life. And that, as I said, surprising trouble can take a million different forms. It, it might be in a, a situation where there's a relationship in your life that is like over and you didn't choose that relationship to be over and your heart is broken, and and you're before the Lord, and and you're speechless, and you don't know what to do in the midst of that. It could be a a relationship that is coming to an end, and you know it's a good thing. In fact, you know, Mark and Kim are here with us today. The Aneeds, if you know the Aneeds, today's their last Sunday with us in terms of being people who live in Sheboygan. We hope they'll be back often as uh, friends visiting from Chicago. Maybe it's been a medical diagnosis and the wheels are off the cart of your life like Maggie Murphy right over here. And we say, well, okay, the wheels aren't off the cart. She was diagnosed uh, the last week with uh, stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so we come before the Lord and we say, what do we do? What do we do? The needs are moving and your situation and Murphy's and you. And and we come before the Lord and at some point we, we get this idea, this truth that even though we plan our life in a certain way and we think A and B and C, and right now you can, you can guess in five years and in ten years what your life is going to look like, and sometimes the Lord breaks in and says, that is not what your life is going to look like. doesn't matter how much money you've saved, sometimes your money is just gone. Doesn't how much, it doesn't matter how much job security you have, sometimes you get the pink slip. It doesn't matter how much you've invested yourself in a relationship, Sometimes relationships end. And in this passage today, Jehoshaphat is showing us what to do in a moment like that. Right? And, and we need to be shown. I can remember in 1991, it was, uh, it was May. And Nikki, excuse me, 1992. We'd been married for like three or four months. I was at the end of my college experience. I had to support my wife. I had been living off of basically her savings and, and a little money that was coming in through a Pizza Hut delivery job. And my, my education was over. And without saying it, she was looking to me to provide for the family. And I was putting such pressure on myself so may came and i graduated and i had no prospects and i had no job and i had no one returning calls and i had resumes i was sending out all over the country and getting them back sometimes unopened return to sender and i had no idea how i was going to begin to provide for my family and for me that was a surprising trouble 
There was a time when I had to ask myself, what are you doing here, God? And when that moment comes, there are really only two things you can do. You can turn to you. You can look to yourself in that moment and say, okay, okay, I'm going to tack on a prayer and I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to start act actively pursuing something. That was my answer to the problem. I started actively pursuing things. I was like the person thrown into the pond who could not swim, and I was actively trying to save myself in the midst of the water, flailing about, trying to do something that was going to produce some kind of good result, and I was killing myself inside. That was my response. And maybe that's your response when trouble comes. You naturally say, in your mind, the false theology, the Lord helps those who help themselves, and so I need to do something. Maybe you start to judge God. And you start saying, God, if this is the kind of thing that you're going to do to people who are, who are kind of following after you, uh, listen, I am going to spend a season away from you because I don't like the kinds of things you're doing to people who are trying to follow after you. And so you don't actually say those words out loud, but you have found that when the trouble has come, you feel further from God than ever because you're over in the corner thinking, like not making eye contact with God because you have no idea why he's doing what he's doing, and you're far from him, and you're saying, okay, if God were, were truly the blessed God who is blessing my life, something better than what I'm experiencing would be happening. Since it's not, I judge God for being a bad God, and, and so I am not making eye contact with him, and, and maybe when I clean myself up, and maybe when I get enough strength, and maybe when I make some, something of myself, I'll turn back to him, but I have a season of my life because of this trouble I'm going through that I am way distant from God. Or maybe your idea of like retribution theology, you know, the, the story of Job, where, where Job's friends came and said, well, if all this trouble is come on your life, it must be all your fault. And that's where you're living today. You're saying, all this trouble is coming on my life. It must be my fault. I must have done something to make God angry. I must have failed him somewhere along the line. And, and one of those secret little problem sins that, that everybody else seems to get away with, God isn't letting me get away with, and now I'm experiencing this trouble in my life. So you can deal with your troubles on your own if you want to. And those three explanations that I just gave you is various ways we do it. We do it trying hard and trying everything. We do it ignoring God like he's not there. Or, or we go through this life living in such unbelievable grief and misery because we think that God must be angry with us for something that we've done in our past. And even though we continue to follow him, we're not following him with any kind of joy or victory. Or you can do what Jehoshaphat does in this passage today. He seeks the Lord. And in these three, these, there's these three segments of verses today, this, this seeking after the Lord, where he just says, look, I'm, I'm going to inquire of the Lord, and I'm going to um, worship the Lord, and, and I'm going to wait for the Lord to act. And if the wheels are off the cart of your life today, or you've experienced some bad news, or you have heard that there's trouble that you didn't plan on in your life, I'm just imploring you today to learn from Jehoshaphat what he has to teach us here in this place today. So when you are overwhelmed by surprising trouble, the first thing you and I need to do is inquire of the Lord. That is to ask God. That is to come into his presence and say, Lord, what are you doing in this scenario? What are you doing in this situation of my life? 
So Jehoshaphat has been serving the Lord all of his life. Listen, if you are going to inquire of the Lord, you can't look back, rest in your laurels, and say, I'm going to live this halfway life for for Christ Jesus, but when trouble comes, that's when I'm going to press into him. It never works that way. It doesn't work that way. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me beside still waters. And the idea is that you need to learn to trust the Lord in the still and quiet moments of your life in the the, the moments when things aren't haywire and broken, when you haven't just been surprised by bad news. And so if you're in that scenario right now where you have not been recently surprised with bad news, it's quiet waters for you. It's still waters, and you need to be learning of the ways of God right now. If we look at uh, Jehoshaphat's life in 2 Chronicles 17, verses 3 and 4, the Word of God says this about, about Jehoshaphat. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David, that the, in, in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Is that what you're about right now? Where your life in the still, quiet, normal, everyday life, you are, you are seeking the Lord with all that you are. There's still waters around you, and he's leading you to trust him, and you're learning to hear the voice of God. I'm talking to you high school students. I'm talking to you young singles. I'm talking to you young marrieds. I'm talking to those of you who are just getting started. When, when Jehoshaphat had just get it started, getting started, he was talking about probably the time from the time he was 20 to into his early 30s, the season of his life. He became king when he was 35 years old. Jehoshaphat was following the Lord. And in the following of the Lord, he began to teach other people around him to follow the Lord as well. He sent teachers out. We see in chapter 17, he sent teachers out to all Judah, and he wanted the people of Judah to follow after the ways of the Lord. A couple weeks ago when Gary spoke, you remember that he spoke about the way that Jehoshaphat had kind of rebuilt the judiciary system in the land of Judah. In other words, he appointed judges in all the towns that were going to judge based on the word of God. So Jehoshaphat had not lived this average, lukewarm life, and now some trouble is coming his way, and and he just decided, now I'm going to serve the Lord. No, no. In all of his ways, from his youth to, to this moment that we're reading about today, he had been seeking the Lord. Have you? I'm here to announce grace to you, if you haven't. If you have not been seeking after the ways of the Lord, today can be the day for you. Early in my, uh, my more immature years, especially in high school, I would tell my parents, if I don't go out into the world and bring the hope of Jesus to the people around me, who will do it? And actually what I was doing to them is trying to get away from their Christian ways so that I could just be who I wanted to be with my friends at, at, at high school. Here, here's my point, is that I said to my parents early on, I have the, the, the ways and the... Uh, values of Christianity in my heart, but I was using that as an excuse to get away, and I didn't influence anyone. Jehoshaphat influenced the people around him for God. He taught them the ways of the Lord. He put judges over them in the ways of the Lord so that when trouble came in his life, he was surrounded by people who were serving the Lord. 
And he did not come up with these excuses about, oh, I need to go out and live among the people because in that excuse, I had surrounded myself with people who did not serve the Lord. And when trouble came into my life, it was not our first response to turn to God. And that's what I'm talking about you. In the quiet moments beside still waters, are you hearing the word of the Lord and are you seeking him with all that you are? And then are you surrounding yourself with no excuses, surrounding yourself with people who love God and who will help you in your time of trouble? The hope... What I want to say here is that we inquire of the Lord, and one of the things we want to do when we inquire of the Lord is we want to influence others to join us as we inquire of the Lord. We want to help the people around us in these still waters moments to be seeking after the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul. And young people especially don't fall into the trap that I need to be out there and I need to have all my friends outside the church and in the world because that's where I'm going to be the most effective. What's going to really happen, what happened to me was I surrounded myself with people who didn't know the Lord. And when trouble came, I had a hard time responding in a way that honored God. Because I, surround, I, I uh, responded to my problems the ways that my unsaved people in the world, lukewarm Christian friends, surrounded to the trouble with anger, with doubt, with disobedience. Surround yourself with people who serve the Lord. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, some of the Menuhites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazian Tamar, that is in Gedi. So let me just give you a picture there. 20 miles away from Jerusalem is a huge, vast army, innumerable. If they looked at the the paper and they looked at the armies of Judah and the armies of uh, Ammon and Moab and the men of Mount Seir, there was no contest. There was no way they were going to win. Huge, massive, irrefutable danger stands before them. And they're from here to Belgium, from here maybe to Port Washington away. I mean, certain doom coming your way, coming my way. And so Jehoshaphat, uh, it is already, they're already in Hazian Tamar, that is in En Gedi, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. That is, he said, all of my friends who I've been influencing with the, with the scriptures all these years, and I've been sending teachers to teach you, and I've been setting judges up over you, it is now time to act. And he called them all to Jerusalem to pray, proclaimed a fast. Now, let me just say a couple of things here, okay? First of all, if you follow after the Lord and you get bad news, you will still succumb to fear. You will still have fear in your life. A perfect love casts out fear. But a response of alarm is a regular, normal human response when we get trouble. I don't know of anybody who, who can just say, no, I am so walking with the Lord that I don't get alarmed. Adam was alarmed. The exact same word that is used in this passage when, when uh, Adam heard God walking in the garden, he hid himself because he was alarmed. He was afraid. And so he hid himself. The exact same word. And so here we have Jehoshaphat alarmed. Now what are you going to do when the wheels fall off the cart and you're alarmed? 
Now, Jehoshaphat did not have to make that decision. He did not say to himself, I am going to continue as things have always continued until I die, and I've got no plan for when the trouble comes into my life. He had a plan. If you look all the way back at the dedication of the temple, Solomon, his great-great-grandfather, stood up in front of, or excuse me, his great-great-great-grandfather stood up in front of everybody and said, listen, we are dedicating this temple to the Lord, and we want you to know that this temple, if we are ever faced with a situation where armies are coming and we don't know what to do and we might have to send armies out and we don't know what we're going to do, but we are going to come to this place, to the presence of the living God, and we are going to seek his face when we are alarmed and surrounded by enemies. Do you have a plan for what you're going to do when the life that you're planning doesn't turn out the way that you think it should? For when the money's suddenly gone or the relationship's suddenly broken or the bad news comes from maybe a doctor You say, how can you plan for that? This is the only way I know to plan for it. When we receive news like that, we are going to influence all of our friends to come in and we are going to seek the face of God because we don't know what to do. Do you have friends like that? I'm not talking about friends who would meet with you, talk about it, joke about it, and send you on your way. I'm not talking about friends who have money who can help you financially. Those are great friends. I'm not talking about friends who can make a killer rib roast. I mean, that's good. But for whatever reason, you know, your life is falling apart. Oh, do you need a meal? Well, uh, here's the thing. I need a little more than a meal. I need some friends who will show up and will not ask me a bazillion questions and will not lecture me about what to do next and will not tell me about all the places I failed and why it, it is the way it is, who we will all just close our mouths and we will not talk about it for two hours and tack on a 30-second prayer at the end. I need friends who will show up and shut off our phones and shut off the TV and shut off our advice and pray. Do you have friends like that? High school friends, I'm not making this up. You can be a friend like that. You can have a friend like that. Friends who know how to pray. Who don't just joke about it and don't just tack on nice little thoughts about it and don't just put little cute bumper stickers on your Facebook wall, right? But who come after you and say, listen, let's go after the face of God together. That's exactly what he called them to do. He called them to fast. Are you familiar with fasting? Fasting is where I give up some of my normal everyday life, not just to like, okay, I feel hunger pains, and so now I think about God for a while in the midst of the hunger pains. That's not the idea. The idea is I'm not eating right now because instead of eating, my bread today is to go after the face of God, is to pray for my friend. You ever fast? You ever spend concerted time with the Lord saying only God is the answer to this situation that we find ourselves facing. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He said, guys, I've invested my life with you all of, all of these years for this moment. We are facing a foe that we cannot numerically match up against. We have no hope. They are coming to take this land that the Lord has given to us. 
And the only thing I know to do is to say, you've been trained in the scriptures and you have been shown that judging needs to be righteous and now it's time to come to the temple and to seek the Lord with me. Would you just pray with me? And those are the kind of friends, that's the kind of friend I want to be. Inquire of the Lord, influencing others to join you. Can I just say this, that you influence others to join you? Um, even if it seems too late, you have a situation in your life where the bad news is coming. You're like, well, okay, that's bad. Uh, that's exactly what's going on with Jehoshaphat here. By the time you hear that they're 20 miles away and you don't have your army together, it seems too late. It seems like, well, what are we going to do? Really, we're going to pray? Is that really going to do something? Doesn't it seem like the, the army is just going to get here and find us at the temple instead of getting ready to fight against them? Aren't they just going to destroy us? Aren't they just going to walk in and wipe us off the face of the earth? And Jehoshaphat didn't think so. Listen, when it seems too late, that's God's time, man. That is God's best time. If you can still pray, it's not too late. If you still have a voice within you and breath within you to seek the Lord, it's not too late. The greatest things I have seen God do in my life, I have seen him do when it seemed too late. The money's gone. Maybe after the abuse has happened. After the abuse has happened, man. After the funeral is over. After the divorce papers are final. after your life seems like there is not a happy chapter left to be written, God specializes in coming into that moment and speaking into your heart and showing you that if you can pray to Him, it is not too late. It's not too late. Jehoshaphat saw this enemy before him and it was not too late to pray. And so rather than getting the armies all together and mobilizing them and adding a little tack on prayer before they marched out into an impossible army or battle, he called everybody together at the temple. And so guys, we decided what we were going to do in this situation 30 years ago. And now we find ourselves in this situation and we're going to do it. Let's meet together at the temple, the very place where the presence of God is symbolized in this world, and meet to seek the Lord. And by the way, let me just say before we move on, isn't your sin, isn't my, isn't the cross an exercise in seeing it's not too late? Isn't it a beautiful thing to know that you have lived in this world and you made yourself God's enemy? You hated him. I hated him. I wanted nothing to do with him. I rebelled against all that he was, even as a little kid. I wanted it my way. And he saw the sin that I have in my life. And he made a way to have that sin forgiven. Listen, the gospel is not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Sometimes God has plans for your life that he allows. And it's for your good. And it's to build you up. And it's to teach you. But it hurts. And from human eyes, it's not wonderful. It's painful but it's beautiful, and it's exactly what you need. And the cross is a beautiful reminder 
that when, uh, when humans have made ourselves our, the enemy of God, God anticipated that, and it was not too late. He paid for our sins at the cross. So as we continue on, you know, we not only inquire of the Lord, we worship the Lord, we, or excuse me, we stand before the Lord. And, and as we stand in his presence, we learn some incredible things. Now I'm going to pick this up again, verse 3, let me just uh, pick it up at verse 3, alarmed. So he was afraid. Jehoshaphat resolved. That, that word resolved means he determined in his heart that he was going to turn away from his trouble and toward the face of God. All right, so that word resolved is, yeah, I see the trouble. It's right there. But I'm not going to focus on the trouble. I, I'm resolved in my heart. I'm going to turn away from the trouble. And I'm going to turn to the face of God. All right? So Jehoshaphat... Um, he resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, called his friends in to, to pray. Verse 5, then Judah stood up, or excuse me, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and you will save us. So we stand before the Lord. That, that just indicates this public worship of God. He stood in God's presence and he rehearsed everybody. Do you guys remember who God is? God reigns over everything. In this case, we had a national calamity and it was about military. And so he stands in the presence of his friends and says, Guys, I'm, I'm as alarmed inside, but I'm reminded already God is God. He reigns over every nation. Do you have a, remember in Isaiah chapter 40 and 41, and there's the story of, of the nations that are rising up. And by the way, you're living out the story of nations rising up all around us. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can start thinking that salvation comes from world peace or salvation comes from world politicians. And in Isaiah 40 and 41, uh, Isaiah says, listen, the nations, as they raise up and try to get victory and try to be the most powerful ones, in, in the way that they rise up before the Lord, they're like a drop in the bucket in terms of what God's doing. Don't, don't, don't focus on the activity of the nations. God is sovereign over the activity of the nations. And so, again, secondly, as we stand before the Lord, the first thing we do in standing before the Lord and publicly worshiping Him is to ascribe to Him all of the, all of the characteristics the infinite characteristics needed to take care of our problem. If your problem is money, you stand before the Lord and you praise Him and say, He is the Lord who provides. Stand before your friends and announce to them as you worship Him, not as a show, not as a, a statement of look at me, but as a statement of how good He is. He is the Lord of providence. If your relationships that have been broken have broken your heart and you don't have the strength to stand, then you stand or sit before your friends and you rehearse to him, I serve a God who is the God 
who will never leave me or forsake me. He is the faithful one. If you don't know what to do next, you serve a God who knows the beginning from the end and He is the only all-wise God. And you can trust Him. And so you stand before the Lord and worship Him for who He is. You publicly worship the Lord. As you stand before the Lord worshiping Him, worship Him even when the surprising troubles you face may be the results of your own sin. So look, here I am, I'm in this situation, and I don't know if what I'm facing is the results of my own sin. Jehoshaphat was in that exact scenario. He was right there saying, now look, we are in a situation where the, the nations are rising against us, and I can't tell you for sure if this isn't God's judgment on me, your king, for things I've done. You say, well, why do you say that? Look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Remember, if there is a blind spot in Jehoshaphat's life, is this. By the way, we all have it. You might serve the Lord from the depths of your heart gladly, but you have a blind spot. And Jehoshaphat did too. Jehoshaphat's blind spot was that he made alliances with people who were the sworn enemy of God. And in chapter 18, he made an alliance with Ahab. We learned about that a few weeks ago. And in chapter 19, the prophet Jehu comes and talks to Jehoshaphat about what God says about this alliance that he made with Ahab. Chapter 19, verse 1. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. Twelve verses later, he's surrounded by foreign military powers. I love that in chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, not one time does Jehoshaphat say, this might be God judging me. Doesn't do it. He does in these verses that we're on right now. He says that all of us have decided, no matter what, whether judgment or famine or plague, we're going to stand before the Lord. And if you're in a scenario right now where you're looking at consequences that you're facing and you think somehow you can trace it back to a decision that you made when you were 19 years old or 23 years old, can I just tell you right now, can I just... You're off the hook, man. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And even if the consequences you're living with right now are the results of sin that you did a long time ago, in this passage right here, Jehoshaphat will have no part of it. He's saying we all decided that whatever situation we faced, whether good or bad, we're going to seek the Lord. And can I just say that you're in a grace filled family where all of you decided that you all are serving the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and soul. You all have blind spots. You all have pasts. And there is no good that can come of trying to uncover if the situation that you're facing right now is somehow your fault for some decision you made seven years ago. It's a useless thing to do. You're in the here and now. 
And my prayer is that with Jehoshaphat, that you have resolved in your heart that whether it is judgment or famine or peril or, or plague, you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to follow after him with all you are. And there is no good that can come from you trying to figure out, is this situation somehow related to something I've done in the past? Jehoshaphat was told by a prophet that God was angry with him and that the judgment of heaven was going to come on him. And in the moment when it came, he did not turn away from God because he was so, he was so paralyzed by the fact that it was his own guilt. It was his own decision. It was his own problem. It's his own blind spot. Woe is me. Our whole country is going to pot. Look, now the enemy is upon us. Listen, if Jehoshaphat had handled the situation like I handle the situation, or like if you are saying that in your head today, like you're handling the situation, and, and paused even for a day, Judah could have been wiped off the map. He didn't pause even for a day. He said before the Lord and before all of his friends that he had taught to serve the Lord, whether this situation has come to us today because of judgment or a plague or famine, we've decided we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to seek him in this place. That's our decision today. We will serve the Lord. We will seek him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And, And that is grace. And that is what this passage is all about. Don't spend tons of time trying to figure it out, trying to figure out if you had done A, B, and C 12 years ago instead of D, E, and F, how life would be different. No, it's useless to do that. You're in the here and now. And my prayer in this place is you have decided in the here and now, in this place, whatever comes, whether it's judgment or not, you will serve and seek the Lord. You will stand before the Lord. Your face choosing to, to turn into him, not into your problem. And you're not going to spend any time wallowing in not standing before the Lord or cowering in a back room because you're ashamed of something that might be your fault. Jehoshaphat stood before the Lord. So even if the surprising trouble might be the result of something you did, it doesn't help anybody to assign blame. Move on. Come to this place where you maybe admit that it could be it could be judgment, or it, it could be just plague and famine for all of us. Regardless, today, we serve the Lord together. When you are overwhelmed by surprising trouble, number three, wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord means you wait for the Lord. You hold on to a promise that he has made on your behalf with all that you are, and then wait to see what he's going to do. Here's my tendency call all the friends together. We're going to pray about it. We get done with our prayer time. They leave the house. I take out a pad of paper and write down nine things I'm going to do to uh, overcome the problem. Do you do that? That's what I do all the time. I leave the house and I'm like, okay, now, okay. I know we prayed and we said we're going to wait on the Lord, but here's what I think we should do while we're waiting on the Lord. Get a list. And, and then, and then if, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to really, really try. I'm going to make it happen. And I start sending out the emails and making connections and reaching out and trying to. That's not at all what Jehoshaphat did in this situation. He called all the people together with the the men of the country and the wives and the children. And it even makes a special point to say, and the little children. He called them all together. And he said, guys, I'm your king. I'm your leader. I'm the one who leads us into battle. And I don't 
know what to do. Dad, some of the best conversations you can ever have with your husbands, with your wife, dads, with your kids, is to say, look, we're facing a situation here. And I realize there's a moment to not share all the nitty-gritty with your kids, but there is a moment to share the whole story with everybody and stand before your kids and say, guys, we, we, now we prayed about this, we have committed this to the Lord, and I want you to know as the leader of this home, I have no plan. I don't know what to do. Sometimes that is your strongest place. Have you ever been there where you have honestly come before the Lord and you have gotten done with the prayer time and you have not said, okay, now I'm going to try this. And you've just, the calm in your heart as you say to the Lord, again, next week we're going to see what, what he's called to do. Next week we're going to see what the nations did and what, the, what Judah did. And we're going to see how they devised and what the plan was. But when you wait on the Lord, you are waiting for something outside of yourself. You're waiting for something that is not you. You're waiting, maybe in this case, uh, we'll see next week, the word of the Lord came from somebody who had rare contact with the king. The king rarely listened to the guy who spoke and said, I think I know what the Lord wants us to do in this situation. You've got to be careful with that too. Sometimes everybody thinks they know what the Lord wants you to do in that situation, right? But you've got to go into that with wisdom and, and come to this place where you say, here are the issues, here are the problems. We have trusted the, the word of God and the promises of God. And now we put ourselves in a position where we say, okay, we are going to wait for the Lord to act. And so it is number three that we are waiting for the Lord. We are continually trusting the Lord's promises. And we are continually trusting the Lord's promises even when even if it means humbling yourself before people who respect you. Men, women, children, people of the church, people of the family, people of your care group, people of your closest friends, and you come into this place where you say, guys, uh, well, let me just read it, because this is where we're going to close today. We're praying and we're saying, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And so, Father, we come to you today as your people, and we say we have moments like this in our lives all the time, and I pray especially for that person who is in that moment right now pray for those people, and it's not just Maggie, there are others in this room right at this moment who still have a body of cancer in their body. And they might say, well, we don't know what to do, but we, their friends, who have learned of your ways and who have trust, we trust your judgments, and we say with them in this place today as we stand before the Lord worshiping you, our eyes are on you together. What you do in this situation with cancer that we hate and healing that we love, we commit it to you, Lord. And Father, our ultimate hope is not that we come together in such a way that none of, no people in this room ever struggle with cancer or moving or, or, or penniless 
troubles with money again. That's not our hope. Our hope is that in this room and outside of this room, that every person who hears the teaching of your word knows and loves Jesus Christ with all of their heart, mind, and soul. It is the cross that stands as our hope. It is the cross that is not too late. It is the cross where we have the promise of God to redeem sinners. It is the cross that is worthy to give our whole life to. It is the cross that stands even when the wheels of our life comes off and we find ourselves along the road and our cart broken down. And so we pray to you today as we come into your presence saying, our hope is not that everybody in this room has a comfortable life where they have plenty of money and they never move and they never struggle with cancer. Our hope in this place today is like Jehoshaphat, we stand before you and say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on the promise that comes from the king to redeem sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.